You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Welcome back to all of our Bible study friends out there. And uh, we're here for the uh, second Sunday after Holy Cross. So let's jump right in here to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Father Sebastian, you got a Bible there? Is that a real Bible you got in front of you? I do. Do you have your Bible with you? Absolutely. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Get out your Bibles, everybody. And if you don't have one, please go down and buy yourself a Bible because it's really important that you have a Bible with you at all times. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. The Lord said, Even as you wish men to do to you, so also do you to them. And if you love those who love you, what merit have you? Or even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what merit have you? For even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive in return, what merit have you? For even sinners lend to sinners, that they may get back as much in return. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, not hoping for any return. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the Most High. For he is kind toward the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, therefore, even as your Father is merciful." Father Sebastian, we're jumping in here into the sixth chapter of Luke this week. So give us, as we usually do, our context in the, in, the, in the context of the gospel story itself. So this is early on in the Galilean ministry, not in the very beginning, but early on. And as we read the text, we most likely are hearing, all of us are hearing the, uh, some parallels to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel, right? In fact, if we read, if we kind of uh, go out in the context of looking at what's beginning before this section we just read and what's after. Again, you can see the parallels are myriad. Sometimes the question arises, is this the same one? Is this, is this the same speech? Is this the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, and while it certainly seems to be, there is a question that always arises. Well, then why does it say he's on a mountain? It says, he, it says in Luke's gospel, he found a level place which I've often thought seems to indicate the, the mountain there too. The crowds are gathered around him. There is no level place in this region of Galilee. We've all been there. It's all up and down, up and down. The only level spot is maybe right there five, uh, five feet from the water on the beach there. But everything else is uphill and downhill. So he, this is most likely, it seems, to be the same as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. And the themes are all the same in the end. And, and most importantly, for us to understand that Jesus is teaching the same thing, whether or not this is, is uh, possibly a different sermon. You know, the, uh, the text is a kind of a, 
it's like a moral theology text, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an ethics question about how we're going to act. It certainly challenges it. So many times I've heard that Jesus's teachings are, uh, well, we oftentimes hear this. There's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. I remember hearing this in my religion class in, in, in so-called Catholic high school. Uh, <laughs> not, so, not so Catholic. But it certainly seems here that Jesus is presenting a teaching which is, say, above that or beyond that of the, of the moral teachings of the Old Testament and, and almost uh, challenging them that somehow there's something not sufficient in that, in that teaching. But then here toward the end of the text, he says, just as my heavenly Father, Okay, you're, but love your enemies and do good lend, not hoping to return, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be called children of the Most High, for he is kind toward the ungrateful. Be merciful, therefore, even as your Father is merciful. So immediately puts it in this broader context of, re, of this kind of restoration of our image and likeness. I know that's not a question, but I throw it back at you because there is this challenge that most people, a lot of people face about the moral teachings of the Old Testament versus those of Jesus Christ, and how do we understand this teaching in light of the Old Testament, because obviously we know this nonsense about the, there's a you know the mean God of the Old Testament and nice God of the New Testament is is, is nonsense. Uh, yeah, and people who say that are obviously ones who've never read the Old Testament very well. So the line here at the end is the is the uh, the code that you know unlocks the mystery here. He says, "Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful." The parallel text to this is in is in Matthew's Gospel where he says. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Mm -hmm. He says, in fact, in Matthew's version, he says, your righteousness must exceed that of a scribe and a Pharisee. Well, the world can you do that? They, they kept the law perfectly. They didn't miss anything. So he shows them how in his law, they will exceed the righteousness of a scribe and a Pharisee. A scribe and a Pharisee kept the law perfectly. And, and examples of, of that type of law, right? Love your neighbor. Jesus says, I want you to also love your, your enemies. So in the, in the Old Testament, it said, love your neighbor. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Why? How so? He says, because, and this is Matthew's gospel also here, you must be like your heavenly father. In Matthew's gospel, actually, a son of, the, a son of, is a Hebrew idiom to be an imitator of, to be like. And so when we go back to the Old Testament context, we can see what Jesus is doing here. He says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful, or in Matthew's gospel, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And again, Matthew means the same thing as what we get in Luke here, because Matthew has told us how, how Jesus says that God lets his rain fall upon the righteous and upon the wicked. The sun shines on the righteous and on the wicked. So God is merciful God is kind even to the wicked. What does he mean? Well, the sun shines on them just like it shines on anyone else. The rain falls on their field like it falls on anyone else. So he says, you must be like God. In the Old Testament, the Torah, the law of Moses, it's divided into five parts, the five books of Moses. And in the middle of the Torah is the book of Leviticus. And the Jews saw the book of Leviticus, therefore, as kind of like the heart of the Torah. Everything points to it. And then they saw in the book of Leviticus, its very center, the holiness code, chapters 17 to 21, 22. The, the, this section in the middle of the book of Leviticus is called the holiness code because in the very center of it, 
is the line, which works out to Leviticus 19, verse 2. You shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. And it's in this holiness code, these set of laws that are in these chapters that are on both sides of this, this central verse, are the essential laws that the Jews understood that caused them to be distinct from the nations. Holy. Holy in Hebrew, kadosh, means set apart, separate. And if I have a stack of books on my desk here, I take one and put it over here. That's the one that's different, set apart. So in the, the law was understood by the Jews as the thing which sets them apart makes them distinct from the nations. And this is why they guarded certain things very seriously. Circumcision. By the time you get the first century, no nations around them circumcised. So them circumcising is something that keeps them distinct. Their, their food laws, kosher laws, kept them distinct. If you don't have a meal with somebody, if you can't eat the same thing, you're not going to have a meal. Therefore, you're not going to have any communion. So it keeps them separate. And that is what God told them to do. Be distinct from the nations, separate from the nations, for I am separate, distinct, set apart from all gods, from all the gods of the nations. I am different from all of them. And you shall be my people. But the, the problem is for the Jews is they stop there. They realize that God has set them apart from the nations and that becomes the end in itself. They see the purpose of the Torah as simply something that keeps them separate from the nations. But they, the point they miss in the Old Testament, which is clear all over the place, they just they ignore this part, is so that, so that they could be like God, so that they could be sons of God, so that they could be ones through whom God could be imaged to the nations. They would be the image and likeness of God to the nations. They would be the revelation through which God's glory, the God that they had, could now become the God to the nations. But they never did that. They never went out and evangelized. People, anyone who converted in the Old Testament period came to them, and they usually went through a few fiery hoops to get to the conversion process. So it was, uh, they, they saw themselves as keeping the gates, right? Everyone was out, stay out, and we're keeping in. And the law was that, that wall and those gates that kept that. But the thing they missed was, why did God do this with them? Why did he set them apart? He set them apart. He called them for something. And that's what Jesus is showing them here. He called them for something. And that calling really is shown to us in, this, in the New Testament reading. It's kind of fleshed out, if you will. Um, and that fleshing out has everything to do with the question of weakness and strength. Weakness and weakness as far as the world is concerned versus versus the strength of God. And the, and the question as we've been presented over the last few weeks really is where are we going to find our strength? Uh, during this time of the Feast of the Cross and now the after feast, if you will, now a few weeks after, we're still really on this, this theme of asking ourselves or the Lord asking us, in whose image and likeness are we going to be remade? In the image and likeness of what the world perceives as strength, or what the Lord promises us as strength, which is obviously is, is the, the, the weakness of the cross, if you will. And we see that so beautifully in the, in the gospel message today is, is a real challenge for us in our modern world that Jesus kind of like just turns on its head. You know, I think it's important 
that we don't just let these words just pass over. So we've heard them, as I say so often, we hear them so often that we just, they become, yeah, yeah, those are, those are kind of God words. Those are Jesus's words. Well, in fact, it's a big challenge for us today to love those who hate us, to forgive those who refuse to forgive us. You know, this, this whole turning on head of how the Christian is supposed to act um, it's, it's, it's truly a challenge for us, just as much as it must have been a challenge to them listening, that are we going to find our strength in the Lord, which is weakness as far as the world is concerned. It's in that weakness, the world's weakness, that we begin to find the strength of Christ and the life of God himself. And what is that but the reality of God's love? And love, of course, always is uh, this reality of this self-giving life. When I give away... I have my wallet. There's never much in here except receipts. But if I give away the, you know, the money I have, here's a, I happen to have a $20 bill here. I give it away and I hand it away. I now no longer have anything. Love does this in the sense that it is the total self-giving of our life. But here's the beautiful, the beautiful thing is that while the world sees this giving of ourselves as this imposition of poverty, of weakness, and so forth. In fact, it is this life which God has lived from all eternity. And, and I, th I think it's a, really an important lesson for us here about uh, those of us who struggle, struggle with pride uh, and struggle with anger, which are very much related to one another. Um, in our American society, we're constantly told that we have so many rights. You have a right this, a right to this, and a right to this, and I should have this. It's the root of, root of so many of our sins that we begin to be so centered upon what I should have that I begin to forget the gift of God and lose sight of the fact that on my, on my own, my hands are empty, but it is only by the gift of God that I have the things I have, which is the medicine against anger and against pride. Uh, if, if I realize that my entire life is a gift, then I can begin to live the Eucharistic life, and that is the life of thanksgiving for that gift. I, I think I'll just finish. We were just at the, at the clergy conference with Bishop Nicholas, and he was going over with us our, the ordination prayers. And that one beautiful phrase that's used over and over again, the ordination prayers, divine grace, which always heals that which is infirm and completes that which is lacking. This is, this is the life which all Christians are called to, not only the deacons and the priests and the bishops, all Christians are called to this realization that it is only by God's gift, only by his life, that we will be healed and filled up and begin to, uh, to, to be able to live out the ministry which he has called each and every one of us to. May that be our prayer this week, that we can begin by realizing our own weakness, and then realizing our need and our weakness, ask the Lord to fill our life with his divine grace. To him be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.